You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. going on internet we're streaming all over the place right now doug we're like on four facebook pages we're on youtube we're on periscope we're on all the things man the whole world is watching you we did it yeah we did it we did it and now we're already over it ah (laughs) you know what this interview is over Yeah. yeah dude what i find hilarious is that neither one of us drink and yet right now we both look like seven types of hot fucking garbage. I mean, I generally look like seven types of hot garbage, so this is kind of maintaining an average. Like, we played one show. We played well, one entire show. You and- played one show. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You played a show on Thursday night. I got to see your other band. Yes. Welcome to episode 92 of the motherfucking podcast. Fuck yeah. This is the official podcast of the International Power Rock Combo, motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. I'm Aaron, and I'm sitting here with my buddy Doug Walker. I uh, We are live from Vista, California. From the Casa de la Chainsaw Massacre. Dude, seriously, it does look like we're <laughs> on the set of Wolf Creek right now. It's well, pretty gnarly, man. It's cozy. Dude, it's beautiful. Like, <laughs> the, the hills in the background and... And the palm trees, and it's a gorgeous day. Like yeah. you guys, you guys are complaining that it actually got below. Uh, Anything below fifty is absolutely outrageous. For well, us. you guys actually got below freezing. Though, yeah, right? yeah, we could see our own breasts, and that's about. You could the see time. your own breasts. Yeah, yeah we could see our own breasts. <laughs> ah! That's about the time traffic gets all shitty, and yeah, everybody gets sick. Dude, you guys were telling me that it was uh, below thirty-two before I left, and I'm like sitting there. It's like sixteen degrees in Denver. They got hit with a foot of snow. Right. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying being here for sure. But, yeah. but you guys, what you guys call cold weather, is, is it? It's way colder in Kentucky. Oh, absolutely. Well, and uh, Louisville specifically is a very humid climate year round. So when it's cold, it's a wet cold. Right. And it just cuts through everything. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, like every eight, maybe ten years, we'll get a, a, a good enough snowfall to shut the city down. But for the most part, it, it just gets really nasty cold. And, you know, you got pollen in the air that's frozen. So on top of allergies, you got the temperature difference. And it's just a giant snotty mess. So, like, does the pollen, like, get into your nose and then, like, freeze there? And then it's like the thing, like when it's like, like global temperatures so, go up. So, like you know, the inside of your of your sinuses or whatever, they get sensitive when you're breathing in cold air, and they get raw. And then that pollen just kind of thaws out right in the raw part of your sinuses, and you get essentially hay fever. But it's a it's that a frozen so version. So fucking gross, dude. <laughs> we thought it was such a nice day; it would be perfect to come and film outside today. It ended up being a little bit more trouble than we thought it would be but it's a gorgeous day yeah uh we're happy to be sitting here talking and uh i'm happy to be talking with my friend doug walker yeah uh my partner in the band 
monolith. That's absolutely correct. And before before we go into the monolith stuff, I feel like we should kind of go into our story of how this whole dance. Oh, we're going to go pre-monolith days? We're going to go pre-monolith, okay. and we're going to talk about it. So, yeah, sure. Uh, one of the earlier shows that Ruckus played under the new band name, in fact, I think it was like one of the third or fourth shows we played since we rebranded, is we were fortunate enough to do a show with the hookers who you used to play for, who are kind of an iconic mm-hmm. Kentucky, Midwest, Southern, like... How like what would give me a little background on the hookers for the people who don't know? I mean, I'm you know not an original member. Um, the band formed I think around 1996. Uh, Adam, the singer, had previously been playing drums with the very first incarnation of Nashville Pussy, which had just come about after Nine Pound Hammer had kind of stopped. So he left that band, formed the Hookers, and they toured consistently for about ten years before they just kind of slowed down a bit and he took a few years off did a couple different bands uh toured with them and then came back to the hookers in about 2009 2010 and i happened to live with him at the time so it was just kind of one of those things he needed a touring guitar player i happened to be a guitar player that could go on tour and I joined the band and you know we had a really fun time with it for a few years and i think you're talking about the bender show am i correct no the bender show was the second show that we did together the first show that we did together was at um the rockaway that's right and the rockaway that's was right. an interesting place because it was i had the bleachers on the outside and the smoking area right? yeah, yeah so for many years um the rockaway was the denver triangle which was one of the most infamous gay bars in in all of Colorado, in the whole region. So perfect place for a hooker show. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, what what had kind of happened is is you know when when the triangle was originally around, there weren't a lot of gay bars, so it was like one of the like underground best kept secrets. Like when we turned it into the Rockaway, they still had a buzzer under the bar. Oh, that you could trip. If like the cops came to raid the place, so that people in the in the fuck station down in the basement knock it off for a minute, yeah, could knock it off yeah. and come running out. Because I mean, raids used to happen, sure, you know, especially in a place like um, in a place like Colorado a long time ago when it was a little more right, a little more uptight. Um, but yeah, so um, so it became the Rockaway, and it was kind of this like honestly too many cooks in the kitchen type of situation. Sure, it had like eight owners or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it seemed even that, you know, one show you played or we played there, you know, you can walk into a bar and you can tell when not all is right in the world. You, you can know? you can tell when different owners had a different hand in different parts yeah, of the business. Yeah, yeah, you kind of walk in, you just you get that tinge that there's some fuckery afoot. It's like, you know. Right. There anyway. was like there was like all these incomplete projects, mm-hmm. you know, like someone had like put a car hood yeah. between the urinals and and uh, one of the guys who ran the place. So it was it was made up of people from Three Kings, Fifteenth uh-huh. Street Tavern, right. and then Freedom Auto or the Junkyard, as we used to call it. Yeah. And the dude from the Junkyard who ran super cool guy to this day. Um, <laughs> he thought he could soundproof the showroom by just like tacking tire treads to the ceiling, like something about the rubber would make the sound. 
That's an interesting theory. Yeah, I mean, it looked kind of cool, and it yeah. was it was just a fun, dirty, kind of shitty place. And uh, one of my, my first bartending job for sure. Um, in fact, I the way I became a bartender at that place is I came on as a door guy, and they let me work there. And then a couple months later, I moved up to bar back. And then while I was a bar back, I was working one night. And the toilets didn't work. So I went into the women's bathroom and the toilet had stopped working. And instead of alerting anybody on the staff, they just kept pooping and peeing and like oh, making nice. this kind Come of yeah. this kind of like toilet paper and yeah, I have nightmares about that shit. Like yeah. literally. It's so gross. Um, they made this like lasagna of toilet <sighs> paper and doo doo. Yeah. And it just like filled up almost to the brim and i had to go in with gloves so this and, this, this is your bootstrap story huh? oh yeah and like i had to pull out the doo-doo lasagna and oh, put shit. it in a trash bag and i came out and i dealt with that and the bar manager at the time was like you just earned yourself a bar shift like that's you know good on, kudos to you junior yeah and then after that everybody quit because the place was failing yeah. so i got half the bar shifts because I was one of like four bartenders that worked at the place. Cause Sometime, everybody just hey, quit man, one after you know, another. poop was on your fate. What can you say? Yeah, man. But it, <sighs> it managed to get my foot in the door to where <clears throat> I was able to go to the, the one up there in Denver and, <clears throat> and fudge my skills a <clears throat> little bit and, and pretend that I had more experience than I did and, and became a bartender as a result of that. But then, one of the guys booking at that time mm. was Jamie DeSoto. From oh yeah, Holly Seven Fifty. Oh yes, Jamie. And he was a big fan of your you guys. Yes, sir. And um, so the hookers were playing, and it was you guys, us, and Holly Seven Fifty. Yeah. And um, Holly Seven Fifty played first, if I remember correctly. And then it was you guys, right? You guys played right before us. Uh, I don't. I th I think you're probably yeah, right. I, the reason I remember that is because. Every now and then, every now and then when you're out on tour, you know, not for nothing, you see a lot of the same shit every night, you know, and a lot of times you see some bands that don't really have their shit together, right. haven't really figured out how to write, don't really, you know, it's guys having fun and that's cool and that's awesome. But every now and then you play with a band that's good and it pisses you off. <laughs> it's like, it's like these motherfuckers. And it's you like, guys, it's like I have to destroy you so I can absorb your power. Well, and like I was watching, like I mean, like not you, know, like you need this, but when I was watching you sing and do your front thing, I was like, oh shit, this guy. And I loved, I really your, appreciate, yeah, that and I loved your voice, absolutely loved your voice. It's like holy shit, this is a guy that's actually up there giving it. You know, it's not just yelling or you know just screaming or kind of sort of singing in one octave around it you know right. what i mean there was there was there was there was some skill going on and there was some you know there was some work that went into to what you did that's not what pissed me off what pissed me off was tay and tony's arrogant guitar <laughs> god fucking asses yeah up there grinning they're really good grinning ear to ear because they know how fucking good they right. are and those i love them absolutely right. love those two dudes like but you know when you know all's fair and love and war when it's to the show there's no competition in the music but the stage show absolutely oh and and, and you know and, we try to pretend that there's no competitive side oh, there's absolutely and it's and it's it can be healthy 
but that's important. Yeah. Like it's important to have that competitive side because it drives you to get better. Yeah. Like watching you guys play, like I just remember you guys get on stage and Adam starts pulling on his gauntlet. <laughs> yes. You know, starts pulling that thing on. And before he's all, you know, glasses and long hair and quiet and just, you know, friendly dude. <laughs> yeah. Then he comes up to me uh, after our set and he goes, yeah, man, I really dug that. That was cool. You know, we're kind of mostly seeing a lot of bands that just get up on stage and drone on. And it was really cool that you guys actually have songs that yeah. you like he yeah. thought that that was really cool. And I took it as a as a very high compliment, you know, but uh, then um, <laughs> then the gauntlet went on. And well, everything then the gauntlet, changed. <laughs> dude, then the gauntlet went on and everything changed. And I remember <laughs> seeing you guys just lined up at the foot of the stage just headbanging and you all had the uniform oh yeah which was tight black pants mm -hmm. black shirt you know and black chucks and black chucks yep. and just standing at the end of the stage just i remember watching you guys play and just being like holy shit this band is so intense and like dangerous yeah like, there was something like you guys, and, and now, like, we're friends, and I yeah, know sure. you, and I yeah, know what yeah. a big softie you are, and I know what a big sweetheart you are, but at that time, I was like, I was like, dude, if we can, if we can form a bond with these guys, <laughs> that we're going to go some places. Well, you know, when I joined the band, Adam, because, I, you know, I had seen him before, too, and I had never met the guy. Because they're a Louisville band, right? They're Lexington, which is a... There's a weird rivalry between the cities that shouldn't be there, but is I don't know how to explain it. It's a it's no, a I get that. it's a college basketball thing that bleeds over into everything. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I get that. But they were a Lexington band, and, but we still I was in a band from Louisville that was really the only punk rock and roll band game in town, mm -hmm. and we would get out to Lexington and play with them. And if they came through Louisville, we'd play with them, and we were kind of in the same circles or whatever. But I mean, he was scary as shit. You know, uh, we'd go see him, and he was just this fucking tornado of a front man gauntleted up and like you know you want to like at first when i saw the gauntlets it's like okay this is going to be cheesy you know <laughs> and then and then he just you know he just transformed into, into this person so when i met him to move in with him i was expecting like this macho man randy savage personality to greet me at the door and he's like right. oh this is your room brother you know i'm like oh my god the bed's made a chainsaw you know, i expect him to answer the door with the gauntlets on like and uh right you know and, and give me just like grab you and pull it just pull the, you. the warrior handshake you know and and come on in <laughs> and like as soon as i open the door he's like you know here's my records here's my comic books and i'm like oh fuck yeah this yeah, is yeah, gonna yeah. be great Here's my G.I. Joe's. But Here's he my Transformers. When I was joining the band, he explained it to me. He's like, we are bad time rock and roll. Right. We are we are the heels. We go out there to be as aggressive and confrontational as possible. Which, if you know Adam, is very true. Oh, yeah. Me too. To, yeah. to his interests. You know, in yeah. comic books and film and, yeah. and music. And he likes all these, these obscure dark band oh yeah he's a he's an encyclopedia of of music and movies and culture in general he just he's a sponge and he's constantly absorbing it but right yeah that's that's kind of how he, he broke it down for me and you know it's fun it's fun to go up there and just be mean and you know not have to be the nice guy because sometimes you're in a bad mood anyway right. and it, it's just, you don't have to hide it and and playing playing characters is fun yeah and it's cathartic and like okay so 
like when I watch you guys, like Tony and Tay, like I said, they have this. They they definitely have the arrogant guitar god thing going, but they're like the happy version of it. Right. We had this yin and yang thing going yeah. back and forth. And like, we are totally like a good time rock and roll band. Yeah. And like on on that tour specifically, we had Brian Homer playing guitar with us from Stonecutters. Yeah. Most famously, phenomenal guitar player. Right. Like just an incredible guitar player, and you know, and he's got. He's he's the sweetest guy in the world, but he can he can turn that. He comes from a hardcore background. Okay. So you know, before he did that, he was in a really big band called. Uh, oh my God, I'm gonna forget it. He's gonna kill me. My <laughs> own, my own victim, I believe they were called, and they were they were big. Like they were they got on like Sony. And, oh wow. Yeah, and uh, after that, he did Stone Cutters, and eventually he did the Hookers for a few tours, but. We were the we were the exact opposite. We were cocky guitar players too, but we were more like, "Fuck you!" Right, right, you know? right. We're gonna shove our shit down your fucking throat, you know. Right, and yeah. I, I I remember that persona on stage, and then being being surprised by just how amiable you guys were. Yeah, yeah. Like you and Telford and Adam yeah. and all those guys, just super friendly, and you ended up. I want to say after the show, you went back to Jerry's place, right? I believe so. Yeah, you guys ended up staying over at Jerry's place, and you guys, we stayed in touch over the years, uh-huh. and kind of extended numbers, uh, exchanged numbers and things like that. And then the next time you that came That was through, the Bender show, yeah. We did, we did a two-night thing at Bender's where, or no, we did, um, what we did is we did, it was uh, Baker versus Cap Hill. And we did one show one night at Three Kings, and then we did one show one night at Bender's, and you guys were on the Bender's show. All right. And um, a little funny anecdote about that show, I was just thinking about this the other day, actually, is, you know, those were during my drinking and drugging days. Yes, they were. So Me as well. Yeah, yeah. So I remember leaving to go buy Coke, and then while I was gone... Luke Schmaltz, the then one of the owners of of uh, uh, of Benders, sends me this text message. He's like, "Hey, amigo, you left a gigantic bar tab here. Yeah, I can't have you walking out on it." Blah blah blah. And I'm all drunk and jacked up, so I get all defensive. I'm like going off on him on the text. I go back and I start shouting at him, and I'm like, "I'm like, what? You don't trust me? You don't trust me to come back?" And he's and now like years later, being on the other side of that. Oh yeah, like it's like. Of course, he didn't trust sure. me. I was a drunk high person. Like yeah. I left a bar tab open and disappeared. It's yeah. perfectly reason reasonable for him to assume that I'm probably not coming back. Yeah, but I did come back, and uh, you ended up staying at our place in Bear Valley. Yeah, we ended up in a garage doing coke and smoking cigarettes and figuring out all of our problems all night. Yeah, all night, and I think <laughs> it was there that we first began to talk about the playing I, together yeah the idea yeah because yeah. you and tony were jamming together a little bit the first time the first time the first were, time. were you guys jamming at the, the yeah we did the it? thing where the guitar players pass the guitar back and forth and it's right. a friendly thing where you're trying to one-up each other but no one's saying they're trying to one-up each other right. and, and we were both just smiling at each other the whole time because it's like you know guitar that, players like, making smug up. half smile like it's it's like oh that was a good one dude all right check this out oh yeah that was sweet oh dude fuck that was badass <laughs> like we're just falling in love with each other right um but the, the the second time no that at that time i was kind of coming to the end of my time in the hookers uh it was the last the last tour i was going to do with them 
and uh things just started kind of i don't know it was fun at first and then after a couple of years of it like you know it it started getting a little weird sometimes when we would go out and i had some personal problems and i just wasn't really happy with it and i knew when i got back from that tour that i was going to be moving out to california right and, and uh, it's been almost a decade since you moved out yeah, here, that's right? been about eight years yeah. yeah so um and you know i i just every time we toured out to california we'd get these crazy offers like hey you know we're shooting this x games series for espn2 why don't you come set up on top of the half pipe while we do a bunch of rad skateboard tricks we're like well, we'd love to, but we've got to go down to San Diego and play for 10 people tonight, so we're going to have to say no. Right. And it, it would drive me crazy because I'm like, man, you know, let's just, you know, obviously, I, you know, I'd never cancel a show, but it's like, if we lived here, we would get these opportunities. Right. And, uh, you know, granted, this is a band that's got 15 years under its belt, so it's a little different, but I decided, I, you know, I didn't like. I, I was kind of done living in Louisville. I wanted to try something else. Well, and you wanted you wanted to change the scenery too. Yeah, and, and you were pursuing a relationship at that time. Yeah, yeah, lots of things, lots of things. But you know, one thing led to another, and I moved out here. And while I was driving out, I had the conversation with Adam as to whether I was going to continue to do the band or not, because um, they were working on a new record. And I was like, I, you know, I don't know. I need to get out there and get my feet planted and figured it out and he's like well you know can't wait for you i was like all right well you know i understand I'll, yeah yeah and, the, and we're still you know pretty good friends to this day that's really cool that you were you were able to keep that going i mean i think at the end of the day you know you want what's best for the people you care about yeah you know and, and I mean, it, it's like i said too you know i was never an original member of the band i was right you know i i've I played the part pretty well and I think I fit the band. I did it. I, I feel like I did a good job when I was in the band and I think they were happy with me, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, well, you know, you found me, you'll find somebody else. And they did. They went through, I think now they're getting ready to do a show with their original guitar players, which is really cool. Right. Uh, cause, uh, Stoney, yeah, you mentioned something about that. Yeah. Stony, which is Noel and Chris are both just, <coughs> incredible rock guitar players and you know they they're they're the real deal and i, I never that was kind of it like you know this is big shoes to fill and i i, I knew i'd never fill them so i just tried to make my own shoes right you know and but they're back with their original guitar players for the, anything they're doing in the upcoming future and adam's you know he's a hundred percent busy with savage master now and they right because he's also in savage master yeah. which we should we should mention to people yeah, like so. a, adam's been around a long time yeah adam adam's a staple you know and He's one of those guys where <clears throat> really musically everything he touches is golden. Like he just has he just has the ear and he knows how to make anything catchy. Right. Like he he's he's got a really good deep appreciation of pop music and he knows how to make heavy angry evil stuff still catchy. You know, you may be singing about something horrible but it's stuck in your head for days and days and days cuz right. it's catchy. He and, does he sings like a heel mm -hmm. like he sings like a bad guy wrestler yeah, you know like when you listen to the especially when you listen to those um those hookers live recordings because the stuff i really liked about your guy uh, about the hookers was all the old hookers stuff oh yeah uh it, it, you know and like when you listen to some of those old tracks it's all just screaming guitars mm -hmm. and then just like adam like you motherfuckers ah are you ready to go this one rah, rah, rah. like oh yeah yeah just super fun yeah i, I love that part of the band man 
Yeah, it was a fun man to be in. It was a lot of fun. You got to see the world doing that. Yeah, yeah. Got to tour a lot. Um, Is that the most touring you did? With one band, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I toured for years in, in the hardcore circuit and punk rock circuit from the late 90s on. Um, just various bands that would go out. Some would go out two weeks a year. Some would go out two weeks every six months. You know, most of it was East Coast. Right. Like most of my touring experience is just touring the East Coast and, and south south of the U.S. Well, that's the most densely populated <laughs> area of the country. Well, when you live in Louisville, you're, you know, you're five hours away from a bunch of big markets. Right. But, you know, it's not necessarily, it's a different kind of vibe on the East Coast. Um, Did you guys have a really healthy scene in Louisville? Because you played in a bunch of bands, right? Like we've we've talked about that before. You played in a ton of bands. Louisville's a can of worms. I'm not sure you want to open, but we can go there if you want to. Uh, Let's talk about it, man. All right, throw well, all the shade you want. I, you know, I mean, uh, I don't think you're gonna just like go off and. Start I, 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 shade, I, 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 you know, I, I do come across as throwing a lot of shade towards that town, and it's not, it's not like, it's one of those things where, when you see one of your buddies who could be doing better, right? You know, and you're like, hey, man, there's a better way. And, you know, far be it from me. Obviously, I haven't figured it all out, but I've found ways to do, to play the volume, like the amount of music that I want to play and still be able to sustain a life. Right. And that's very difficult to do there because there's not any industry for it. And there's a kind of a, there's this kind of mentality of, well, you know, we're never going to make it anyway, so why bother? And nobody really makes it, so they're not wrong. But so the venues are kind of like fly by night and don't really stick for, around for a long time. Long. For a long time, it was a five year cycle, and it would always the cycles. You could you could name the era of the Louisville scene by which venue was open, right? And now I will say it's always had an incredible scene, like incredible players. Um, every generation has a new group of kids that come out and do great stuff. Like there's a band from Oldham County, which is just outside of Louisville called knock loose. And they're one of the, their biggest shit. They're huge. And you know, they work their asses off, but a lot of guys don't get out of that city. I have, I have heard, uh, I read in, in Martin Atkinson's book, um, Martin Atkins's book, tour smart. He was talking about, he's like, if you want to, it's like the the instinct is to go to the coast, like either go to New York or mm -hmm. California, but realistically, you're better off going to a place like Nashville because yeah. you have access to so much, like 70% of the U.S. No, population I, I, is I, within eight hours of Nashville. Right. Louisville's kind of the same thing. Two right? hours. Yeah, exactly. Nashville, like, so you I guys, mean, you were in the same spot. So touring was the, a big part At the time, you know, Nashville's come up a lot in the past two decades. Right. Like there was already a really pretty, pretty strong music industry there before I moved, but it was primarily, you know, country Western, like all country country, more Nashville, Nashville related, music, right. You know what they're known for. And it, it's really been in the past 10, 15 years where you've seen just that city explode in new ways. Atlanta too. Um, you know, a lot of the Southern cities have, have grown and you would think, you know, that would, happen in louisville too but it doesn't happen that much the the underground scene stays underground and right. the bands that that kind of get bigger than that generally don't get included in the underground anymore 
and it, I, I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to explain. So but it's like once one, it's like a, you can never come home again, sort of thing. Like once you leave the underground, kind of, like yeah. And you know, I have a lot of guys that were my peers and friends that have died, you know, before I left and since I left. And it's a lot of a lot of heroin overdoses, a lot of suicides. And it's a tough place to live if you're a creative person because there's not a lot there for you. Right. There's not a lot of opportunity. And when there's no opportunity, a lot of times you lose hope. And a lot of these guys right. die very young and very, like, just insanely talented, insanely troubled people that are in a place that it's unhealthy for them. I remember you telling me once that one of the the unique things about that part of the country is that because the weather sucks so bad, <laughs> it produces this disproportionate number of really insanely good musicians because there's nothing to do six months out of the year. Yeah, sit except, inside and work on it. Except sit inside and play your guitar and do drugs. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the opioid crisis hit that part of the country exceptionally hard. And, uh, right. We had a problems. long time ago. Well, and it's still going. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it keeps flip-flopping back and forth between either opiate, opioid medications or heroin, whichever one they can get their hands on. Right. But it's just not a health. It wasn't a healthy place for me specifically. Right. I mean, I, I've seen uh, and I've seen a lot of my friends too that it wasn't a healthy place for either, but they never tried to get out. Right. Or they tried to get out and they couldn't stay out. It's like Patton Oswalt talks about the the curse of the small or the the test of the small town mm -hmm. it's like at one point you either go i'm going to get out of here before i kill everybody and myself mm -hmm. or i'm going to stay here and get a job at the sit go so i can fill my truck up for free right yeah kind of <laughs> right. sort of and i mean you know and that's not to say that there aren't guys there that, that that produce and put out really good stuff but a lot of them don't make it out outside the city very much and there's 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 a couple of venues that have been running steady for close to ten years now, so that's better. But there's still venues that have come and gone in that in that time. A lot of them are di like different names, different ownership. Right. You know, it's 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 and it's a tough racket no matter where you are. Right. But when there's not really any kind of uh, climate for success, right? Like there's no there's no the idea of what's the poverty level like out there. I mean, it's not, you know, the cost of living is different. So right. the poverty level is a little bit different there. Um, People can get by with less. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's still not cheap by any stretch of the amount. You know, rents probably, you could probably get an apartment for what it costs to get a room out here. But you're still right. paying, you know, you're, you know, when you're getting rooms out there, you're still paying five, six hundred at least. Right. So it's not like dirt cheap where you can just, you know, you don't have to worry about money at all. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty far removed from their real estate prices. But, <laughs> right. It's um, been a long time since you've been there. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I go, I try to go back and visit and it's always, you know, it's an interesting situation because it feels like you're walking through someone else's lifetime. Right. But, um, you know, it's, it's not a bad place to live. It's just, it's, it's tough for creative people that want to be able to pursue that to a more intense degree, I guess. Right. Like um, a lot of a lot of people I know have, have moved or died, and most of the guys that I was playing music with back in the day aren't are there anymore for one reason or the other. Yeah, and I was I, when we went out to breakfast today. 
I was thinking for a little bit. Last Sunday was the sixth anniversary of my last hangover. Yeah. And I was thinking about how many people I know that have lost their lives literally and figuratively due to drugs and alcohol. Oh, it's, alcohol it's, especially. Alcohol's the more insidious one. And I'm sorry, I know I play in a party rock band and I'm, sure. I'm probably bumming people out and being a buzzkill by saying this, but I mean, the facts are facts. It is it is one of the most, if not the most dangerous drug there is, alcohol. And it's like people will just sit on a bar stool mm-hmm. and waste away. Yep. You know, because they've got this association of that being part of their identity or or being part of being a rock and roller. I you mean, know, you're not going to get an argument from me. I, you know, I I got all my drinking out of my system when I was a teenager. You but, just never liked it, right? No, like it's like I I I don't know the the feeling of being drunk never appealed to me, right? Like I I'm too much of a control freak. Like I have to <laughs> I have to have control of myself and like. You know, the amount of bad decisions I've made under the influence of alcohol. And then I look back and I look at those decisions and it's not just, it's like, how did you do that? Right. And, you know, I'm a, I'm extremely uh, susceptible to hangovers. Right. And I don't like them. Right. And and like, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, like we both (laughs) pretty much have hangovers and and we didn't do anything. I'm, I'm far from a sober person. Like, you know, I'm not a sober person in the slightest. I just, alcohol has never appealed to me. And I will tell you, it's really weird because I've always been in bands that, you know, there's there's a culture where if you play a certain type of rock and roll, it's expected that you're an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. It's expected that you, you know. Oh, yeah. It becomes part of your identity. Yeah. And it's like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing all go hand in hand. I said something to Isaac from heroin last night. It's like, you know. Shout out to the heroin, by the way. Yeah, great show last great night. Great man. But um, as what I said to him is like, you know, some guys get into it for the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they don't last. Some guys get into it for just the sex and the rock and roll, and they don't last. Right. The guys who just get into it for the rock and roll, those are the lifers. Right. And those are the guys that stick with yeah. it no matter what. Well, I mean, you just see people's, because even if you don't literally <laughs> die, and when I stopped drinking, the the words that I said to the therapist that helped me out were, I may not literally die, there's a good chance of it, but my my it might destroy my relationships it might oh, yeah. drive me to madness it'll destroy my health it'll i mean it's just it's it's you know it's a toxin and again i'm i'm far from one to judge or, or be preachy or whatever but i will tell you like i was saying you know when i I've, I've been doing this for a long time and it's expected that this part of the culture that you're doing and you know i never thought i'd be able to quit i i can't tell you how many times people have come up to me in bars like even last night when we were getting ready to leave this guy's getting ready to hand me a shot and i'm like Usually I'm polite about it and I'll take right. it. And you know, if they're making me do a shot with them, I'll be like, okay, like one <laughs> shot, I can get away with that. <laughs> That's but, it. But you know, again, being a non-drinker, it doesn't take much. It hits you right away. Yeah. So I've you, never seen you intoxicated. I've seen you high as a Georgia pine. Well, you're but, seeing me high as a Georgia pine right now. Yeah, but yeah. that's besides <laughs> the point. Uh, we got some great pot too, by the way. We've got some really good pot. Are we, are we about to have the Denver versus California pot debate? No, no, no. I mean, the pot that we got when I first got out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Excellent I mean, pot. 
Hey man, Denver's got great pot too. Knocks hey, pot. everybody's got yeah, great there's no, pot. There's no reason to fight about this. There's no reason to fight about pot. It's like fighting about green chili. Yeah, it really is. Okay, wait. Not in so, <laughs> so I work with a guy who's from New Mexico, and he does the whole like Colorado green chili's trash and da da da. It's like, hey man, we can both have. Things. Yeah, you know what? There's nothing wrong with some green chili, and yeah. I like salsa verde too. There's it's nothing okay. to compete about. It's okay. Yeah, but I, but, uh, but no. Um, Doing the band thing for a long time, you know, with uh, without drinking, like I said, usually I'll just I, I'll I'll take someone I'll take a drink from them and I'll thank them and I'll kind of walk around for a minute and try to give it about five minutes or so then I'll find them and I'll be like you know oh hey man I got you a drink thanks for getting me a drink and you know you regift it to them and they, <laughs> you it to oh yeah absolutely that's hilarious uh you know it's how you make friends. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times when you get the uh, the people like, dude, can I just say that people in action sports communities are disproportionately bigger drunks than like anywhere else I've been. Like places with surfers and oh, places yeah. with skiers and snowboarders. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, again, it's part of the culture. They're expected to be party animals. Right, and, right, right. And you can't be a party animal unless you drink. And it's, it's. I mean, you know, without getting all big conspiracy on it, we, we have all grown up being inundated with advertisement from alcohol manufacturers for our entire lives telling us that if you want to have fun, this is what you need. Well, you see Slash slugging down yeah, the, yeah. the bottle of, of Jack Daniels and, yeah. and he's got a he's got a Coke spoon around his neck. And then you read his autobiography and it's like, Yeah, that destroyed my heart. <laughs> yeah. I have a pacemaker now yeah. that shocks or a defibrillator or whatever right. that shocks my heart because yeah. I destroyed it with alcohol and cocaine. And I mean, you know, I've 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 had my fun with, with cocaine in the past, but I, I it was one of those things where just one day I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. Like it was never I would even challenge I would even posit that it was never fun. It just gave you a flood of dopamine. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. like flooded flooded your brain with drugs. It's like it floods your brain with feel good chemicals, but I don't remember ever feeling like particularly happy on cocaine you know what i mean like i i had chemicals surging through my body and i would have like this elevated state but i never was like i never felt like content and well-being from doing cocaine you know what i mean i think when i first started fucking with it it felt like i was happier it certainly made dealing with certain people in my life easier when we were both doing it right uh, and you know that was part of it too. Is I was involved with someone who's very much into it, and it's <clears throat> it's not really a social drug for the most part, but usually kind of is. Oh yeah, you know, you know, like most people don't want to share, but they also don't want to do it alone, right? You know, because there's that whole fucking we'll call it powder white guilt, right? Uh, so you <laughs> you've got to be just friendly enough to get invited to do the coke without being overly jovial and annoying and and seeming like a narc so okay so when you're a musician and you're doing a lot of traveling playing a lot of shows when someone offers you a drink and you turn it down you get congratulated as if you've accomplished something they're like hey 
you know that's awesome man i'm so happy i'm really proud of you man it's like you know what thanks that's fine i'll take it yeah yeah you know now when you're a musician and you're traveling and you're playing a lot of shows and someone offers you free cocaine and you don't turn you don't take it they think you're a fucking narc right 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 when i did those shows with you guys when i came out to denver when we played at i believe the oriental right 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 so they they have that nasty nasty green room downstairs uh-huh and some i don't i don't I'm, if whoever it was is watching and i forgot your name i apologize but there was there's was, there was some cocaine being handed around and i was down there by myself with the guy who was handing it out and he's like you want a bump man i'm like oh you know i'm good he's like you sure <laughs> and i'm just like <laughs> i'm like I'm like he's, like he's like he's like well i'm not trying to like i'm like i'm like no 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 it's fine man i just don't want any well then he's you. embarrassed because yeah. because his he's a vampire and he thought you were a vampire too sure and then he exposed his vampirism yeah and it turns out you're not a vampire yeah and you know i'm i'm an, I, I it's like you're a, just a spooky dude so, so yeah it's like i said earlier you know this is this is me on average and i always kind of look like a mess so people are just kind of like <laughs> offering me the drugs they're guys. like oh doug's a train wreck no, man it I'm looks like to- it looks like he needs some hair of the dog i'm like no bro this is like this is just normal i just don't give a fuck this is weed and burritos and video games yeah, pretty much. Hey, I, speaking of video games, I learned something new about you today. Oh, Lord. And I haven't learned anything new about you, you in a while. you out me in front of all these no, people? No, man. I don't think it's outing you. <laughs> I think it's very cool and an interesting thing. You are one of the top Borderlands yeah, players I, 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 in the country. I, I, I don't know about that. I'm a streamer. I'm a streamer. I, I put out some What's videos. your Twitch channel? What's your uh, Twitch no, channel? No, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> so moving on back to band-related shit. <laughs> okay. I think it's cool. It's okay. It's you know, it's something to do that keeps me out of trouble. Hey man, they get more views like like Twitch channels get more views than probably everything we've got streaming right now. You know, for whatever reason, no matter how much music I put out, nothing nothing seems to entertain people more than listening to me talk shit about something. <laughs> like Oh I, yeah. I don't know what it is. Apparently I have a gift, but because you know. you're all you're also a world class shit poster too. Yeah, uh, you know. Not even I don't even think shit post is is fair. <laughs> no, it's fair. Is it fair? Well, it, you are definitely like I wouldn't consider you a shit poster because you definitely write what I and I I use this term uh, when I got into town and we were talking about it. Yeah. Uh, like you write essays, mm-hmm. and many times they get a reaction out of people, and your your comments on your posts just quite often turn into a total dumpster. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, so in know, that sense, it could be considered shitposting. I try, I try as hard as I can not to limit my friends based on political affiliation or any of the other things that have really divided everyone over the past four years. It gets, it gets harder. Right. Um, because people can be very aggressive and yeah, antagonistic. We're, we're, and we're, you know, without getting too deep into it, we're becoming more and more polarized by the minute. Right. You know, and it's happening in real time. Right. Because um, the information just comes so fast. Right. And these memes, man, they're so quick. Well, and not only that, and we've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast, something I learned about the algorithms recently is that it's not that they're just designed to show you more stuff that you like. They are designed to guide you towards right. more predictable right. behavior and habits. 
So what ends up happening is through those little micro interactions online, people end up becoming more and more drawn to a very specific binary right. black and, and white if I ideology. Make, if I make an opinionated post on uh, Facebook or whatever, and even it, something nuanced, yeah, and it if start, you do something that is nuanced, if it, if it starts, if it starts generating the traffic, which it tends to, because like I said, I, I don't, I haven't been that great about filtering friend requests over the years, and some 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 really interesting people have slipped through those cracks, <laughs> and you know when when it opens up someone will say something and i got a lot of friends that are hard left and i got a lot of friends who are on the right and it just turns into a it's just monkeys in the zoo throwing shit at each other yeah they and, just start screaming at each and, other i mean my post my post will get up you know over a thousand comments in 24 hours sometimes thankfully it's not very often and it's never pleasant mm -hmm. like it's never people like it's just it's usually just one person like fighting viciously against like a, a tank of angry piranhas that smell blood. <laughs> Let me ask you something: Do you think it helps or hinders your music career? I don't know. Do I you mean, think that, they're that, just unrelated? Like, do you, like are people able to? It's tough separate to say. separate well, online persona from I, like I, the band persona. Some can, some can't. You know that explains why there are Morrissey fans that hate Ted Nugent. I, I can't explain it. You know, like um, some people. I think everyone is selective about that. You know, it just depends on how much they appreciate the material and how much they dislike what someone has to say. And it, there's plus some, there's that degree of confirmation bias and right because I mean I've had this discussion at length with many people. You know, if you really want to start getting into every musician or artists that you enjoys closets, you're going to find shit that you you're don't You're going to find stuff in every human being. Yeah. Closet. That's just how it is. Like everyone, everyone has their own little things and musicians, generally speaking, are crazy people. Right. And they tend to be, uh, many of them tend to abuse drugs yeah, yeah, speaking, and abusing drugs makes you mentally ill yeah, for so, the duration of the time yeah, and beyond. It is what it is. But, uh, you know, um, as far as whether it hurts or helps, I mean, in some ways, it helps. Like, you know, if, if I have a shit post that blows up to 3,000 and I'm real quick about it, I can usually get a little bit more traction. <laughs> get like on a it. Call of the Wild post. Yeah, yeah. By, like, by the way, we're playing this show. If you guys want to come and talk about it. If you want to come fight yeah, me, show up much. to the Poorhouse Saloon tonight. <laughs> yeah, but at the same point in time, yeah, it's, it, it polarizes. And if they're... My whole attitude about it is this. If, if I say something that pisses someone off so bad that they don't to listen to my music they're not someone i want listening to it anyway right. right and i've i've had this conversation with people i'm in bands with where i'm like you know at some point as a human being you have to draw a line in the sand as right. you know do you stand for anything or not and if right. you and you know if you stand for something have convictions and it's okay not to like people yeah it's it, okay to not be friends yeah you know okay so we still have to exist on the planet together but it's okay to just be like, this guy is not my guy. Right. You know, you see, we, we spoke earlier about just, you know, just the way it is with music today. And everybody's scrounging. Everybody's, everybody's scrapping to try to get what they can. And it creates this mentality of we have to get every single person we can get. And I don't, I don't buy that. Right. You know, I just don't buy it. I'm, I, I, would rather, I would rather have 100 people that give a shit about the music and and you know like what i have to say than have a thousand where 
most of them don't you know it doesn't matter to me like no one's right i'm not selling a million records either way so if there's like three or four people that aren't going to buy a copy of the 50 copies i sell that's okay right i'll get and we, we 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 talked today at breakfast about one of the most liberating things that you can find <laughs> out is that nobody cares yeah at the end of the day nobody cares yeah and and there is so much stuff competing for people's attention and energy that even if you we had a we had this stand-up comedian on the show several episodes ago this guy Matt Kobos and he was talking about the um the open mic scene and he was talking about one of the things he really likes about it is people can come in and they can eat shit and they can even cross a line and say something that maybe they shouldn't have said mm. and they can come back the next week and nobody is out for their blood right you know what I mean? And I think I think that applies more than we think to just the general society in general. Yeah. Is people who want to destroy you to further their agenda, they're going to put you up as a sacrificial lamb. But most people, even if they get angry at you about something, are going to forget about it in a very short amount of time because just so much happens in the time in between. You know, and... Unfortunately, though, as much as you can, you know, there, there's there's a lot of truth of nobody cares. But unfortunately, sometimes people do care and they care for stupid reasons. Right. You know, and that's why bands have to change their name. Well, and uh, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, uh, that's why bands have to cancel shows. Right. And I'm, you know, and there's different degrees sometimes i agree with it sometimes i don't like you know with with what happened with like take a few years ago you know there's something to be said of if you don't want to get protests maybe don't paint a swastika on your show it's chest right. at a show in germany right and i get it because they don't find that funny yeah i get it all. that's like that's like a really bold statement but at the same point in time that kind of shit don't wash off well and with with things like black metal the entire ethos behind that genre is displaying the most horrific and offensive imagery that you can. Right. Right. So you end up in this thing where it's like you get activist types and we've seen this happen a lot in Denver where you get people who are activists and and you know God bless them for being you know anti-fascist anti-racist activists you know I we talked about how Courage Crew was mm -hmm. was a big presence in right. Kentucky and, and and it's like on one hand, you're like, thank you for coming in and scaring off the real Nazis at the same time. Yeah, because you stop beating us up for smoking cigarettes now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's. At the same time, you've got something that is a form of art, which is like, there are trauma movies where there are characters that are repulsive, repellent human beings. You know sure. what I mean? You, you, you know, you see. You see, like, uh, what is what is the B movie Ilsa of the SS? Oh yeah, like, stuff like that. Where oh, yeah. it's just it's designed to be as shocking. And that as was possible. A, that was a very that was a very popular costume for Halloween for a long time. Right, not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. No, you know. But you look at something like that, and the lines, I think, especially in recent years, have gotten a lot fuzzier. With like, okay, what is artistic expression, and what is truly um, what is what is true ideology? 
like who who is really trying to present an ideology to their audience mm-hmm. you know what i mean and and we've seen the lines get blurred on that but yeah you see people having to change their names and and um you can disagree with it and in many cases i have disagreed with bands whose shows were shut down by protest mm-hmm. you know uh at the same time we don't have any control over anything but our response to it pretty much and if the market decides that this is not going to fly you can fight it so long but is it the hill that you're willing to die on because no. the market has decided and that's what it, that's that's what it is it's, it's, it, that's what it comes down to is which hill are you willing to die on right i'm i'm willing to die on very few hills yeah you know Fewer and fewer hills as I get older. Yeah. I'm, if somebody came up to me and decided my name was offensive, I'd be like, like, and if enough people started doing it, I mean, I don't see it happening. Yeah. But like, if enough people showed up and started doing that, I'd be like, all right, I guess we got to rebrand or we're not going to get shows anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, but, you know, getting back to the whole idea of the no one cares, I, I you know, it's one of those things where. Anyone going into it has to understand that you have to be the you have to care enough to do it, you know, and you have to right. do it, you have to do it for yourself. At the end of the day, you got to go out there and make the music you want to make. You know, it's got to be a self gratifying thing, right? Because um, if you go into it for the money and the fame and the wealth, uh, you know, all all those things, you're gonna you're not gonna last, you know. Right. And um, that's I don't know. It, it, it's it, it's a weird thing, but it's one of those things where if it's if it's in you, it's in you, and you don't have a choice, right? You know, and we just make the most of it, and, right? You know, like I, like I always say, it's just a series of chasing life affirming moments. It's like my mantra, right? You know, oh, this is why I do this. Okay, cool. Now the next five shows are gonna suck, but that sixth show, it'll right, make it right, all right. worth it. You increase your odds of having the good show by going out and sure rolling the dice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Hey, um, I think now's a good time to take a quick break. Uh, we'll just throw a little be back in five thing up on the stream. And for those of you who are watching at home, uh, we're going to please hold for this, this quick chronic break, and we'll come back <laughs> and we'll give a shout-out to our sponsors. All right, first and foremost, Batula Plumbing. Batula! Shit rolls downhill, don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. Angie's List, Super Service Award winner back in 2011. One one's the only one that matters. Uh, Man, he'll wear the booties for you. Jerry Matula, he's a good guy. Uh, The master of poopers himself. If you're in the Chicago area and you need... uh, Need the shit piped out of your house? Hit up our boy, Jerry Matula. Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios in Denver, Colorado. Uh, just off 27th and Larimer, over by the Larimer Lounge there. Go see your boy, Mikey Mulligan, over at the Larimer Lounge. Have a couple drinks, and then go in and enjoy their clean, uh, comfortable, climate-controlled, and uh, and just spacious rehearsal spaces. Uh, they're at Rocket Space, fully equipped. Uh, so that basically means you ain't got to carry shit. 
Just bring your guitar and your drumsticks and some buddies and go have a good time. Rocket Space, you ain't got to carry shit. Uh, Flipside Music in Denver, Colorado on South Tacoma Street over there on the Rock Block. Super excited about all the stuff that they've been doing over there. Ike took me on a tour recently. Um, They've got uh, lesson spaces. They've got uh, a nice little jam space, a nice comfortable little jam space where you can hang out and try stuff out. They've got a repair shop in the back, and they have the largest selection of effects pedals in the region. That is a fact. I mean, I got that information from the flip side people, but I digress. Evergroove Studio in Evergreen, Colorado. The best recording studio ever in the history of the universe. My favorite place to go work on records. Uh, 70% solar-powered. We're getting our record mixed and mastered there right now. We're super excited about it. It is, if nothing else, the most beautiful place that you can go. Located in the Black Mountain region of Evergreen. What else? What else? What else? Oh, thenugnation.com. Home of the Nugs and their wacky adventures. Uh, Stay tuned for a whole bunch of stuff that we got coming out of there. Some stuff we're doing with uh, some great local uh, cannabis brands. And some stuff that we're doing with Redman. And uh, we're about to drop our interview with Ritz here soon. Um, And tell Bong Burgundy that the boys sent you. TheNugNation.com. Check it out. Mutiny Information Cafe to South Broadway in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Mutiny is everything. Uh, Records, comics, books, uh, coffee, live events, podcasts. I actually just did uh, Jake Fairley uh, from Hail Satan's new podcast, Scream For Me Denver which was super, super cool to sit down with the Hail Satan guys. Had a really good time doing that. Uh, we played at Mutiny with Monolith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt from uh, Mutiny said that Monolith is his favorite project that I've ever been involved with. Oh, that's high praise. Yeah, man. So uh, Mutiny is great. Mutiny is in everything. Tell them the boys sent you. Oh, of course, our patrons, the people who support us via a small recurrent contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus you guys make the world go around man it makes us able to do podcasts to live stream our shows to fly tony back and forth to uh god what else to get merch printed to pay for tours to rent vans to rent equipment just everything oh and to record our new album at evergroove studio just everything you can imagine that patreon budget goes to help us do so thank you so much to our patrons for helping us uh, do what we do. If you want to help us make cool shit, go become a patron at patreon.com slash mfruckus. Doug is back. In this next half, I want to talk to you more specifically about Monolith. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the backstory. I want to talk to you about the shows that we got coming up. Oh, and uh, we've got some t-shirts printed by Blackout Screen Printing. Uh, the art is by Jay Party Lord. Um, it's really, really fantastic work. Um, Jay, uh, Jay drew this drawing, which is based on our song Twin Wizards off the first EP that we did. Uh, Jay drew this did. the first time we played at Three Kings together. And okay. the first time Monolith played, the only time Monolith played Denver. Right. And, um, and Jay was like, let me draw a t-shirt for you. And I was like, Absolutely. And he drew this Twin Wizards thing, and then we didn't do anything with it for a while. And uh, just before the trip, 
uh, I was like, man, it's it's too bad to let that thing go. We got to make that into a shirt. And so I had this limited run of shirts printed. Um, you can get yours by going actually to the MF Ruckus Big Cartel page at mfruckus.bigcartel.com. So go check that out. Um, we were kind of talking about how we met and right. all the stuff with the hookers and so it all started in a dingy garage <laughs> right and then and we just got to talking while being on this is probably the only case i could make for drugs being a good thing sure without drugs we probably wouldn't have well, stayed up to all be, night talking. you know to be honest with you up through the full length really everything about monolith was pretty much powered by cocaine <laughs> yeah you know like i said at that point i was pretty sure i was that was going to be my last tour i hadn't made my mind up Right, like my mind was made up later in that tour, but I was I was leaning really heavily towards it, and uh, for whatever reason, you kind of seemed like you were ready to do something else too. Yeah, at that time, uh, Tony was uh, starting to talk about wanting to go back home to Chicago, and Tay had left the band at that point or was leaving the band. He was leaving. He was leaving, and Jerry was kind of in the process of leaving, so it seemed like. We were stagnating a little bit. Well, you guitar rock band, all your guitar players are going. Right, right, right. <laughs> so so it was at that point that I started putting feelers out. Like, I knew that Ruckus would probably not die, but I knew that I had to go do something else because we were we were in a, a downswing in our career. Right. And so I part of, started putting out feelers to a lot of people, and you almost immediately started sending me stuff oh uh, yeah pretty much like okay so i moved out to california right after that tour and i would say after i'd been here for about four or five months i got into my own place and as soon as i did i started collecting equipment i could use to demo stuff out on my own and you know when i was much much younger like in my early 20s i had tried to record by myself and it had not gone particularly well right so, you know, I hadn't really tried that again, but, you know, it'd been 15 straight years of recording with other bands and learning more about, you know, how to do it. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll give it another shot. Maybe it won't be as catastrophic as it was last. Like, it was so bad, it traumatized me not to try it again for 15 years. Right, right, right. And there's one or two people that still have copies of that shit, and they... Oh man, they blackmail me, blackmail me at least once a year with it. Like I'm gonna show someone the tape. I'm like, don't you fucking dare! <laughs> like for years, for years, for years, I I tracked them down because I remembered who I'd given them to, and I would go over to their houses, you know, to hang out. And if I found the tape, I'd take it. I'd take it and I'd bury it, and I'm never telling anybody where they're buried. But it was that bad. <laughs> so um, so I I started gathering just you know electric drums so I could do stuff without making a lot of noise and. A little digital eight track that you could you know do multiple tracks off of and you know I, I i wanted to do i'd never done a proper metal band like it had always been hardcore or punk rock or right. speed rock or and you know and i'd always find ways to slip little metal nuances into all these different things because i really wanted to play like you know classic metal guitar like the 70s through like maybe the late 80s that that whole you know the stuff i grew up on right you know that that's that's what started me playing and i'd never really gotten to do it properly it was like priest up to megadeth was what pretty what much you yeah like like up to like grunge really you know up till the grunge came on the scene and kind of changed the landscape a lot 
so it's something I, you know, just kind of a, like an ode to everything that, that I love that it made me want to do it in the first place. Right. You know, I lived in an area where there's a very vibrant community for that kind of music. So I was like, up here in North County. Well, just California, right. Southern California in general, but, um, you know, LA especially, and you know, Megadeth basically is from San Diego. Right. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, yeah, this is where I ended up. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it here. I'm close enough to LA. Yeah, close enough to San Francisco. The initial idea was I was going to basically do a ProBot record, uh, that the thing that Dave Grohl had done years ago where he composed material specifically for singers that he admired. And he made basically a record that was a love letter to all these guys. And I'd met, you know, I'd met some really good vocalists over the years that I'd, I'd always wanted to work with. You were one of them. And I approached you. I approached the singer from Black Wizard. Um, I approached Telford from he played bass for the Hookers, but he was also a phenomenal singer in Spread Eagle. There are some other people I, I can't remember everybody, but you responded the quickest. And I knew exactly why I wanted to write for you. And I just you because you've got this like this this right in between Paul Diano and and Ronnie James Dio, where like. You're not as theatric as Ronnie James Dio, but you got the you got the chops, but you got more of the. But I'm also not a Bowery boy like yeah, like Paul Diano. Like, right, I'm not quite as rough as Paul Diano. Right, but I'm a, I've got a little grit. Right, exactly, and it was just like you know biker metal, and like uh, like you know first three records from Priest, that kind of stuff. So right. so I wrote what ended up becoming Twin Wizards, this shirt that we're selling. That was the first thing I wrote, and uh, it was the third attempt I had made at demoing out by myself, and it was the first really complete idea that I had, and I sent it to you first because it was written specifically for your voice. Right. And uh, you responded you know, right away. You were into it, and <laughs> your response is like, uh, can you write more of this? And I was like, I'm sure I can. And then I wrote End of the World, which is essentially – you know, rhythmically, it is almost, it's pretty much identical to Twin Wizards, but it's different riffs, so we won't get into that. But I wrote that, again, for your voice. and I think of him as totally, from a guitar <laughs> player perspective, drummer. I'm, from a drummer perspective, I'm sure it's the same. Yeah. But from a listener's perspective, yeah. it's, they sound like two totally different modes to me. Yeah. You know, two totally different, they, they have a different tone to them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I wrote that one. I sent it back to you, and you got that one. And you're like, can you write like you know, like maybe five more of these? Like, let's do a record. And I'm like, I mean, I don't see why not. Okay. Yeah. And I wrote what would be the first EP. Not every one of those songs saw the light of day, um, but that had you know, Pyromania, End of the World, Going Home, and uh, Twin Wizards, which those have been in our. Anytime we've played, those have always been in the set. Right. That EP is really good. It's yeah. And, you know, a couple songs that didn't really work live, and one that we have, like, Man Without a Soul, which is such a bittersweet song because I love it, but it's a pain in the ass to play, so we usually don't do it. That's on the Metal Assault comp. Yeah, that, that's that, actually on the that comp. We're that we're going that, to play for tonight yeah. in Pasadena, California. Yeah, that recording is from... So the very first session that I did in a proper studio was Twin Wizards, End of the World, and Deceiver, which was the cover that would eventually make it onto our, uh, our, our uh, EP. Now, interestingly enough, the whole reason I did Deceiver was just as a litmus test because I was trying to go for that tone, like with the guitars and the drums and everything, 
So I was A and Bing the original songs that I was writing to those records, and it was sounding close. I was like, you know what? Let's really check this out. So I did one of their songs so that I could A and B one of their songs to their original recording. See just how close we were getting, and it was it was pretty close, mm-hmm. but but it was a good enough recording. Then we kept it. Um, and and, was- and and famously, I only I had I had pyro or I had a uh, Twin Wizards mostly written before I came out, but everything else I did most of the writing at your then girlfriend's kitchen table yeah. the day before we went into the studio. Yeah. And and, and um, one thing that's kind of been common with both recording sessions that we did is because I had to fly out here and do this stuff, the recording process is much rushed. more like, it, it, well, it's much more like doing a demo. Yeah. But it's a demo that we released, and so it has this like, it has a fair amount of polish on it because it was seen through to the end mixing and mastering and yeah, production stage. But not much. But it also has this like the grit that a demo mm-hmm. has from like kind of just hurrying to get something laid down and, and get an idea down. And, and you know, to be honest, like that grit, I wanted it. Like that's I wanted it too. Yeah. Like I wanted something it that I like about I, it. I wanted it to sound like those shitty fucking metal tapes that were getting handed out back in the day. You right. know? Because that was the whole the whole idea of it, and um, yeah, the second session is when I did the rest of the EP, and then you came out, and uh, and I, yeah, I did all of it. I didn't have a lineup; it was just me. Um, didn't even have any idea of doing this as a band because it wasn't until you came out and you did the vocals, and that was a crazy weekend, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that was a crazy weekend. That was one last hurrah. That weekend is the reason why, to this day, when I listen to that EP, I can still taste a drip. I think you uh, you sent Christina with me to the beach so that I wouldn't drown because I wanted to go <laughs> swimming around in there fully clothed. Uh, uh, that's true. And yeah. that was when, you know, pretty much we were in the studio all day and then at night I was just drinking Coors Banquet stubbies that I got from the, the, the convenience store up the street <laughs> and we were just sitting oh, there's up. a bottle of tequila that, that got polished off that weekend. oh yeah too. the bottle of tequila too yeah. yeah and then just going into the studio and just recording vocals all day yeah. long and um and that was we hadn't done any live playing by that point had no we? no oh no 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 we did we um because i did like i said i did uh end of the world and twin wizards is the first session so when MF Ruckus came out on tour, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, we pulled we pulled you guys into the under re, re, rehearsal studio, and we learned them that day, and then went and performed them before your set that at, night. What's the name of the club? Uh, it was the Shakedown. The Shakedown was that the show we played with Eat the Turnbuckle, the like former Bad Luck Thirteen right extravaganza guys, or was no? That, that was a that was a legit monolith show. That was with um, Red Oh, Fang. that's right. That was a monolith show. I'm trying to remember who we played with at that record That was, show. you guys played with this one band and they brought the one guy who was heckling you and it got a little ugly. Oh, right. Yeah. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that was the first, we, so we'd played it live. So you had, you had a pretty good grasp on those two songs. And then, but after we finished the session where you came out and recorded all your vocals, we were sitting in my car in the parking lot at the studio listening to the dailies uh, before it went off to mix. Like all the raw stuff, it was we got all the tracking done. And we were both sitting there in silence the entire duration of all eight songs that we had done. And after it was done, you were like, you just went, we need to make this a band. And I was like, 
<laughs> I just said, I was like, do you know what you're getting yourself into here? You're like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, we can I think, do this. I think the original idea at that point was let's just record. Yeah, something. it was just going to be something to put out for fun, yeah. you know? And then, and then we both really enjoyed it. So I was like, all right. So I started recruiting people. Yeah, and you had this you had this vision for it pretty early on of being a modular band. I remember you saying that. Yeah. Yeah, the idea being that there's a core and then everyone else would be for the most part interchangeable and to an extent that worked and to an extent once we found the lineup that we are currently with, you know, those are the only All guys. All right, let's break it down. How many drummers? One. Well, two. Well, we had we two. had Ben and then and then Rod, Rod filled in for the drummer show. So two. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so Ben's been a mainstay. Bass players. Bass player were on Gordo. Gordo Tadeus. Tadeus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kevin. That, kid, that kid was too young to be in that yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, Tadeus, Kevin, and then John. Right. Then, I never even got to play with Kevin because no, that was all. Yeah, that, that was, was all Keith, Keith era yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, era. Keith era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Keith McIntosh, so, man. Yeah, Keith. We'll, we'll get to him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he, so then how many guitar players besides you? So, Jono was the original guitar Shout player. Shout out to Jono. Jono. Yeah, yeah, Jono's the man. Uh, Jono Lanasa. And then uh, after... He just got super busy with... He um, still, he, he wanted, he wanted to do... Dirty work, right? Yeah, he wanted to do a band with his boys. Right, and he didn't have time for both, and it was you know, he was straight up with me. He filled, finished out the shows he agreed to, and that was that. I I, I love John Olanos. Yeah, this day. And I haven't I haven't seen him in years, but I I love him, man. He's and after Jono after Jono left was right about the time the Nightcallers were splitting up, and I wanted Jared the first time I saw him. He's such a good guitar. Yeah, the player, first man. time I ever saw the Nightcallers was like that's the guy right there, dude. And we talked about this earlier, <clears throat> like a a super fascinating. Like this part of the country is is super unique, you know, because you think of a place like San Diego or L.A. and you think of it as being a big city, but it has this like small town element mm -hmm. where like people never leave their community. Mm -hmm. There are people like that, that they just hang around the beach and they're like, why would I go anywhere? Yeah, I got I mean, everything. There's there's beautiful women. There's like great oh, places yeah. to hang out. There's good food. Everyone comes people, to us. Right. Everybody comes to us yeah. like and. When Jared joined the band, he was super young. Yep. He was doing Night Crawlers. Was he doing Great Electric Quest by that point? No, he joined he joined Great Electric Quest while um That's while you were still in the band, but that was that was a little bit later on. Right. And he was just like the first time he had been out of Oceanside, to my knowledge. Or out of out of the show. San Diego region was when we drove up to San Francisco yep. to play with um Get Dead and uh, the Sorority, right? Yeah, and Flex Bronco. And Flex Bronco, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was, that was the first time Jared had been out of Southern California. Yeah, and you know the Nightcrawlers played for years, and they 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 always did really well in North County, right? And um, like I said, though, the first time I saw that that guy play guitar, I was like, That's Dude, "There is something about North County that is just pretty is really badass." And I noticed that that like when I first started coming out here and playing shows seeing this like healthy and vibrant community of people that were into classic metal and like mm -hmm. like proto metal type of stuff you know you had the guys from red wizard and the guys from great electric quest yeah. and and toke and war chief and war chief is a they're uh well they're la but yeah i consider them part of that like southern <clears throat> california 
you know, oh, yeah. metal well, revival. Well, harsh Toke, yeah. Um, uh, harsh Toke, that's yeah. what it is, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great, we're right next to the desert, too, so all the desert metal right. comes through here. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's a little bit different than the L.A. metal community. It's a lot different than the San Francisco metal community. Right. Um, it's just, yeah, it's its own thing, and it's, 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 a lot of it's just more about the party. I, North County, like, by the way, a Kentucky boy and a Denver boy hanging out in North <laughs> County, we, right. st- we stick out like a sore thumb here. You know what I mean? There's like, I was making the joke last night when we were hanging out after the show, and like, like, Jared lives in a completely wild <laughs> fucking, like, Lord of the Flies, Peter Pan paradise of a house, right? And, uh, you know, we're basically after every show, right around the, the corner from the from poor the bar, yeah. yeah. So after the show, everybody goes over there, and everything just goes sideways, and you're throwing, oh, yeah. like, you're throwing axes at flaming wood, and... And it's, people are painting on stuff. There's and, usually some fire involved at some point. There's fire involved to some people up on the roof. Oh, you always know. people on the roof. Usually people up on the roof causing the fire. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like I said, every time I go there, there's a certain point in the night where I realize it's time to get the fuck out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so it's so beach, man. It's yeah, such it a really beach is. community thing. And it's, it's really funny to, like, witness... For a little bit, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. But the fact the fact that you and I don't drink, it's like, okay, this is starting to get a little. Yeah, you can feel when it starts to yeah when it starts to turn south a little bit. But I have this picture of Jared from one of the first times we hung out, and it's in his backyard, and he's trying to build a bonfire, and so he's got these like secondhand books that he's tearing up and using his kindling, and I look at him and he's ripping up a book. By Napoleon Hill, and it's like the seven keys to success or something like that. Yeah. It's like a follow-up to Think and Grow Rich. And Jared's just sitting there tearing off pages and throwing them in the fire. I'm like, Did you have you read this? And he's like, No, what is it? <laughs> and I'm like, like that was just such a like a such an ocean side moment for me to like <laughs> and I got a picture of him holding the book upside down and just kind of looking at me like, Oh, no way. Like it's a lot of fun. I love Jared to death. Well, anyway, the second guitar player was Jared. Um, he replaced Jono. Uh, fantastic guitar player. Uh, different style. You know, he's got a much more soulful rock and roll style, but he can he can burn on it too. Right. Um, and once he joined the band, I was like, "That's it. No more, no more guitar players." We got it worked out. Yeah. And then uh, he got bu- he joined the Great Electric Quest on bass, and he got busier. So there were times where we would have to bring people in and out. So. Uh, we used to alternate between Tyler Johnson, who uh, who tried out for the band initially, but we went with Jono instead, and so he would fill in from time to time. And then John Norwood, who's now part of our bass roster, uh, well, he's our permanent bass yeah, player. He's our permanent bass he's, player. He's he's gone back and forth between filling in on bass and filling in on guitar, just based on what's needed, because he's just that kind of guy. Right. You know, John is the most rock solid guy you know ever and you give him the material he works his ass off he comes in he's like well i i didn't quite learn it the way you wanted it but here's what i did instead and you tell me if it works and if it doesn't work i'll go and i'll learn it your way and everything he's ever shown me has worked perfectly um just dependable as shit so he it's weird because he's been in the band twice i guess 
God, it's so fucking crazy. Right, right. So, uh, how long have we been a band? Uh, I started. I started writing in 2013, so it's been seven years Holy since, since the project kind of came time, together. Man. Yeah, you know, seven years, seven shows, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to think I broke a mirror at some point. Right. Uh, and then, um, so yeah, so let's see, John O, Jared, John, Jesus. John O, Jared, John. And uh, Tyler. So that's four different guitar players besides myself. No one has ever played, no one has, I'm the only person who's played every show. Uh, ben is, is in second place. He's only missed like five shows. And we've had three singers, right? Two. Two. I thought we had somebody else who stepped in after no. he left before I came back. Um, you were the original singer, and then when we wanted to get a little bit busier and the schedules weren't working out, we got Keith in, and Keith was with us for about a year and a half, and we did some stuff with him, never really recorded anything. And by the way, I'm going to go on the record as saying that Keith McIntosh is technically a way better singer than i am oh yeah like he has the voice of an angel beautiful singer. yeah keith's got a great voice and uh you know i don't he, he enjoyed the music but i don't ever think it was really i think he he likes the more polished kind of power metal stuff right you know and phenomenal voice and his band's horizon is constantly putting out material so he's he's happier with that and you know we it was again an amicable parting i don't think we've had well, Tadeus was a little bit ugly when he left just because he quit day of a show. Um, with Gordo, it was kind of a very uh, mutual thing. Right. So Keith came out in after you. Eventually, he wanted to just do Sarizen. And when that happened, I was just kind of at a point where, like, you were ready to shelve it. I was out. Well, you know, that was the exact words he used to me. It was like, I'm just ready to shelve this project. Yeah. You know, not necessarily break it up, but right. just, but just. Okay. And we talked about that. Like, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. a difference between stopping and quitting. Yeah, because you know, I pushed it. I, I pushed it really, really, really hard the first couple of years, and it was as much as the idea of a modular band being able to function at all times, no matter what. It works on paper, but it's a lot of work for one person to take on. Right. And uh, and I mean, I was meeting people on stage. Yeah. Like there yeah, were there literally. were times where. Like, I want to say I met John on stage. You met Tyler on stage I met as well. Tyler on stage. I met Rod on stage. Yep. I want to say I even met... Tadeus. Jared. Uh, Tadeus on stage. Uh, no. no, you'd met Jared before because we played with the Nightcrawlers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but other than that, yeah, pretty much everybody else. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, but it's a lot. And you don't have... it. it you kind of want those bonds, you know, you, you kind of want to have your like stand by the person that you yeah, and, can you depend know, on. And when you're writing material too, when you're writing with the idea of making it modular, that means you have to kind of be careful about putting too much of your own nuance into the material because it might be tougher for someone else to pick up on. Right. So you kind of have to write with a more generalized idea of playing the songs. Well, and you end up with contributors who don't feel like they're a contributor. You Not so up, much. If you don't, you don't feel like anybody felt like they, they didn't have ownership of the band because it was all established. At first, when we were first doing it, it was more of a employee-employer kind of situation, and I don't think it was quite that changed for sure. Yeah, that did change, and it wasn't until you know we got Jared in, and you know we got we got the lineup that I kind of wanted all along, but I was in a hurry to get a lineup together, so I made it modular. Right. And, you know, it got to the point with, you know, Keith kind of got to the point where he felt like, 
you know, he's like, you know, I'm going out and singing someone else's songs every night. And so, you know, I was like, okay, well, let's write some. And just like Mark Wahlberg and Rockstar. Yeah, just like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, That's exactly how he felt. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, and we tried to write some material with him, and it was... It was different. Yeah, it was different writing with him. Um, it wasn't better or worse. It just was different, and it just... I was kind of stalling out on it anyway because I was just getting burnt out. And, you know, the band is, I, I wasn't writing when Keith was in the band that much. The stuff I would write, you know, I'd write a song and it would be good enough. And then a week later, I'd be like, nope, this sucks. So I, ha I don't remember what got us back together. Like what? Buddy Donner got us back together. Buddy Donner got us back together? Yeah. Hey, we, shout out to Buddy Donner yeah, from the Great Electric Quest and we, Sabbath, Buddy Sabbath. We had been... Well, okay, no, because we—I think we did a key, we did a show after Keith left with you. Uh, we did the Black Pussy show, right? At, um, House of Bricks or House of uh, Brick by Brick, Brick by Brick. House yeah. of Bricks is in Des Moines, yeah. Right. Uh, brick by Brick, yeah. No, we yeah. Did. So Keith, Keith, Keith had left the band, and we had that show coming up. So I tucked my tail between my legs to ask you to come back and do it. I don't even think he was out all the way, was he? He just couldn't do the show that week. Oh, that's right. You and filled I was just in filling for in. Keith. Because that's we right. went, we went and had breakfast with Keith. After that's the right. Show. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. So that wasn't bringing you back in after Keith left. Uh, when I shelved it, then I didn't do anything for like a year or two, and then nothing at all. I thought you were filling in with people. Oh, I mean, not with Monolith. Oh, okay. Yeah, Monolith was shelved. I was on. I was playing with Call of the Wild and. I spent like a year building up Space Force into something before we started playing shows and you know I was busier with that. I was I was I I had auditioned for a gig axe but didn't get the gig. Oh, Which, that's cool. I mean it's still cool to get the audition. Mucho got it. What can I say? Mucho got oh, it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I that's mean, really cool. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, you can't get mad about that. It's like, oh yeah. I of mean course. he's a bitchin' drummer. Yeah, I'm like, like well, I'd take him. I mean, over not me that too. you're not a bitchin' drummer. No, I'm not that bitchin'. I'm not as bitchin' as Anyone Mucho, who watched yeah. the stream last night during the Living Alive set oh, yeah. got to see very early on what kind of what kind of drummer Mucho yeah, is. Mucho By the isn't... way, if you're watching the stream right now, after you're done watching this, go check out the Living Alive set on the stream we ran from yeah. the poorhouse last night, and you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah. Mucho is sick. So uh, so we were kind of inactive. I hadn't planned on doing anything with it. you know. Uh, and then Buddy called us out. Buddy was just straight up like, when the fuck is the next Monolith show? And I was like, so <laughs> I was like, all right, tell you what. I'll set up show up. Do a show with us with the Quest. He's like, well... So we got his other band to do it, and you know, you know how it goes. And uh, was that the first show back that Sabbath Buddy Sabbath show at the Four yeah, House? That was the last show we did. Really? Yeah we we haven't we have we didn't do anything. Oh yeah, it's because it's been it's been a year and a half. God, since time we did flies. A show. Yeah. So um, we set those shows up. You came you came out. We played. It was a good time, and I was like, okay, you know, from here on out, every now and then, let's pick up and do a show. You know? And it's always been fun since we did that. And I, I, uh, I felt guilty because right around the time that we did the records was at the end of when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. And I got divorced. I stopped drinking. I started getting my life together, started going in a different direction. And when that happened, I started leaning really hard into ruckus. Yeah. And so because I leaned so hard into it, we started getting a lot of 
traction, which has obviously since <laughs> died down. You know, there's only so much you can do with with uh, playing less than 20 shows a year. You know, yeah, but, it happens. Uh, yeah, it happens. But um, but we were really starting to create some opportunities and get some traction, and some things were happening. And you wanted to have a full time band, and yeah. and being a band dad in my own band, I understood that. You know, and I. I think when you made the call and we had the conversation, yeah, we were both on the same page about that. Yeah, because you know it'd been one of those things where it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a decision that I made quickly. You know, I thought about it a lot, and you know what what it came down to is that I understood. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, dude, I get it, but at the same point in time, like I got guys here that want to do shit, right? You know, and it's a good lineup. I want to keep it going. You know, and you if, met that pretty long-haired singer, yeah, Keith McIntosh, with the voice of an angel yeah. and his nice skin. And well, and that was the whole thing too. Is I, I was like, I was like, you know, I, I, I didn't think I was gonna find anyone at all. And then you know, Keith just kind of fell into my lap, and uh, that was I, a very funny visual in my head, by the way. Just I, him, I like was, that's what I was going for, <laughs> but. Um, you know, I was like, I, I hit him up. I was like, would you be interested? He's like, maybe, you know, let me check it out. And he checked it out. I was like, and I talked it over with Ben and Jared. And I was like, let's bring him out, see how he sounds. And if it works, then we'll keep going. And if not, then we'll just go work on other shit for a little while. Right. And he did a good job when he came out. I was like, okay, this can work. And um, that's that's when I called you to be like, okay, yeah, we we we've got someone who can do it. We're gonna we're gonna give this a shot, and you know everything you've done up to this point still counts. You know the band's still built around you, but you know maybe I I think I even said at the time, you know things thing maybe things will change down the line. Sure enough, yeah, sure. No, enough. I mean, and and when when you asked me to pick it back up, like I kind of knew at the Black Pussy show that Keith was starting to move away. Yeah. Like, I knew at that point. So and by the way, agree. something just po- popped into my head. There's a picture from that show, and, like, the first comment underneath it is, I'll bet that singer owns a kayak. <laughs> it's like, it's like, now listen, people, that this is what a rocker looks like in Colorado, okay? You know, <laughs> I thought that that was really funny. I like that. He, and they're he, not wrong. I don't own a kayak, but my uncle and aunt are river guides, right. so that's true. Keith and I had really different ways of of seeing how we wanted things done, too. I, like I said, he likes a much, much, much more polished kind of uh, modern-sounding thing, and I like it to be dirty. Right. Like, And he's he's a precision type of guy, and I'm a, I'm a raw energy type of guy. Right. And so there was always like there was always a possibility it you know it wasn't going to mesh well and like I said like I was you know I was going through a world of shit outside of bands right stuff you too. were under a lot of stress yeah that, like right? I was I, you know and everything all at the same time just well you, you know. left your whole world behind to come move out here yeah you know what I mean and then when the thing that you come out here for falls apart. And then your band falls apart. Yeah. You know, that'll do a lot to you. Yeah, you know, it was a fun time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd rec- had a good time. I'd recommend it. Uh, you know, it what doesn't kill us, right? Right. Makes us crazier. No. Whatever. But, um, yeah, you know, Keith was Keith was pretty much done before he quit. And it was cool, and I just didn't think to do anything of it. But, yeah, Buddy was like, play a fucking show, goddammit. And I was like, fine, I will. 
and I hit you up. You were down. We set a time. You know, we booked the show. I mean, I'm not going to say no to a trip to California to play with my <laughs> bitchin' metal band. Yeah. You know? Like, we have done some really cool stuff. Yeah, and and, this, you know? and that last time we did it, too, we finally had the lineup right where John was on bass and Jared was on guitar, and that the was... The band was tight. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think a big part of it, too, was when we played that Poor House show, I got to get reacquainted with the North County love. Yeah. And man, every time Monolith has played in North County, and most of the times we played in LA, not so much in Orange County, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but every time that we've played in every time we've played here specifically in North County, we've gotten so much love. Oh yeah. And people are so happy to see us, even the people who don't know who we are and just happen to be in the bar like mm -hmm. just there's something about north county that is very enthusiastic about a, a good rock and roll band and i got to experience that and i was like well i i can do this every once in a while i could even do another record i can you know yeah i mean you know when, there are times that I, I i hate i hate ever trying to sound egotistical or arrogant but but here it goes. But I'm gonna, I'm going to anyway, because fuck them. That's why. Because fuck them. No, I, you know, I think that I always try to have a certain level of authenticity to the stuff that I wrote for Monolith, and it was always, it, I, I've always been more about being heavy through subtlety than being heavy through uh, being obvious about it, you know. And that's why, you know, it's got like the the thinner guitar tones, right. And it's it's more about new. I try to make it more about nuance, and we happen to have the guys who are playing in the band that get it. They get what I'm what right. I'm, what what I want it to be, and they want it to be the same thing. Right. And there's you know I you said the other night you know the guys respect the material a whole lot. Right. And, and I love know. those guys. That's yeah. the other thing too. Like I love you. Yeah. But Jared and John. And Ben, like, I, I adore those guys. Yeah, they're great dudes. And so, like, it's like, oh, you know, uh, I get to go see my friends in California. The The only catch is I've got to do a monolith show. Yeah, you know, in the perfect world, we could do it every night and get paid really well and be able to live in two places because of teleportation. But, you know. <laughs> hey, man, it's coming. Yeah, we're gonna is. get into the singularity, and we'll be able to upload our consciousness. We can just have you. We can just we can just do it so that everyone has an Oculus and we VR you in. <laughs> it's coming, dude. Yeah, man. So uh, you know, it's not it, that far it is off. What it is you know, I I enjoy the you know I I have a a blast playing the material, especially you know when I take a long break from it and I come back from it, right? You know, because I've been doing strictly rock and roll guitar for two years, like just helicopters worship day in and day out, right? And you know, and I, I did some work with Flex Bronco too, which is again rock and roll. Yeah, you got to do Guadalajara yeah. with uh, with Flex Bronco. That's really yeah, cool. That was man. a lot of fun. And you know, and their material is it's rock and roll, but it's still not like I love Flex Bronco. It, it's I not love it's, that band. Like Monolith has some legitimate acrobatic shit going on, and it's not like it, it's all it's because of the weird rhythms that I use. Mm. And uh, I definitely didn't write the lyrics or the vocal arrangements with performance in mind mm. and now all those songs are ridiculously hard yeah to sing live yeah it's funny so when if, you talk about playing every night and like doing a tour or something the first thing i think about is like i'm gonna die 
if anyone watching, you know, if you go back and you watch that Living Alive, you first and foremost go ahead and watch the heroin too because you owe it. Oh to man, yourself. it was so good. It was so, it. The whole show last night yeah. was great. Yeah, and when you get done with that, you can watch us, and you'll notice that every song or so, maybe two, all of us are shaking our hands. Everyone's going fuck, right? Because we're all sore and out of shape, and, right? You know. but oh yeah, man. I'm like, what? I was joking about on stage. If you, you saw the live stream, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I, uh, I'm like, get on stage after watching the heroin play, and I'm like, I'm not doing that shit. Yeah, kicking, no doing kicky, kicky flips. flips. No kicky flips with the mic stand. Yeah, it's like you'll be lucky if I tap my foot. Like, yeah, man, I'll tell you the first time I saw them too. I saw him pull that James Brown shit. I was like, dude, this guy. Yeah, this I, guy is something else. He's awesome, man. Yeah. They're definitely one of my uh, one of my new favorite bands on the circuit, and I had seen them before, but somehow I didn't give them the their their due attention. You yeah. know, they were like probably just in the background at Three Kings or something like that, and I just. I didn't give them their due due attention. They they were coming through. We met them, called the Wild Play with them. We got asked to play with them on a Tuesday night at the Moreau down in in San Diego. And you could probably imagine Tuesday nights are not typically heavily attended, right? And so I was like, yeah, you know, the guy who is putting on the show is a guy is like a local radio DJ. So it's like, yeah, you know, we might as well do a solid, you know go show up smile shake hands kiss babies right and uh we showed up and the first band was up they're pretty good and then uh and then we played and did our thing and then the heroin got up there and i was like holy shit that band is really good and they did it to an empty they were dry firing man they did it to an empty room and they were still on fire the whole yeah. time well you got to do the same shit you got to do the same show because yeah. you never know who's going to be there man and I, I, I absolutely fell in love with him. And I, I started talking to Isaac, the singer, afterwards. And uh, he was just the nicest guy. So, yep. you know, that that was cool. And then a few months later, we got asked to play another show with him on a Sunday at the Tower Bar in the afternoon. And I was like, <sighs> and as you can imagine, afternoon shows on a Sunday are not terribly well attended. Right. So again, you know, they dry fired away and they had their new guitar player that they had with them tonight, like last night. And that kid is incredible. He is so good. Yeah. And uh, they, they just lit the place on fire with an empty room. And after that show, I had a long talk with, with uh, Isaac, you know, about life, music in general. And I, I gave him my number. I was like, the next time you are booking a tour, you give me a weekend night and you let me book it and let me get you in front of some people. And because, you know, you guys are too good to be playing empty rooms and they've right. been at it for a long time. Right. You know, so they came up again and uh, they play with Space Force at the Poor House, which is the other band that I play guitar for. Shout out. And uh, it's a pretty good show. And then, you know, they went through and they were, they were coming back through. And I was like, you know, I want to get them on a really, you know, heavily attended show. Who can I get? So. My first thought was the Nightcrawlers, which is Jared's other band that I sometimes play drums for because they always pack that place. And um, couldn't really make it happen. I was like, dude, what if we did a monolith show and see if we can't draw some people out for them? Right. And, you know, I hit up John and Ben, and uh, they were both like, yeah, let's do it. Hit you up. You're like, yeah, give me a date. And date worked out. So, and it was like, well, if we're going to do the one, Gotta do the second one. Right. So uh it just so happened Andrew was doing the Metal Assault uh tenth anniversary mixtape series. Yeah. 
And Shout out to Andrew Bansall. Yeah, from- that guy. Yeah, Metal Assault dot com up in LA is is the most real deal in California. Yeah. They're the they're the heart of the metal underground. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. He's he's been keeping it going. He's for our 10 dude, years. man. That he's done almost every show that we've done in LA. Almost. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. And so he was like, "Yeah, I'm doing this tape series. You guys want to be on it?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah. You know, I have some stuff that was unreleased. You know, from the original sessions. And so we we dusted off." Man without a soul and send it to him and he's like, you know, we're gonna do a release show too. It just right. so happens to be the day after the show you just booked us like right. perfect. Right. So we're we're doing that up in Pasadena tonight with our boys in Void Vader. Yeah. If you're uh, anywhere near Pasadena or the LA area, we are going to be at the Old Town Pub. Old Town Pub in Pasadena. In Pasadena for the Metal Assault mixtape release yeah. party. And he only made fifty copies of it and they're selling quick. Yeah, I'm super excited about that, man. It's yeah. gonna be a lot of fun too. Yeah, album of the week in LA Weekly, folks. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh so what do you think? Um just kind of wrapping this up, what do you think is the future for us in this band? Oh, that's an awful big question to ask me <laughs> while you got me in front of all these people. Uh, it's like, actually, we were going to part ways with you after yeah, this weekend. Yeah, well, I was going to kill you and grind you up in a kibble <laughs> for the cats, but... Oh, right, right. Uh, no, I don't we know. We are at the you Deer know, Creek um, or Wolf Creek House. I'm kind of I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, if I can find some cool opportunities for us to do, then I'm going to get them. You know, if I can right. get us, you know, I, I, I'm not really interested in, you know, grinding. Right. You know, but you've if already got bands that you're grinding. in. Yeah. Yeah. But if there's something cool that comes along, you know, for whatever reason, you know, as little as we toured, we, we, we seem to have some clout in certain circles. Like they're the people who like us, like really fucking like us. Right. Because they like people can, I guess it resonates because they get what we're doing. Right. And, um, you know, if that turns into something where we get a chance to travel somewhere we've never been or, you know, go play somewhere else, maybe make a little bit of money, maybe just get an experience out of it, then cool. Yeah. You know? Well, no. I'm into it, dude. Yeah, totally. I'm into it, man. Yeah. Well, uh, Doug, thank you so much for sitting down. Oh, thank you for having me. Man. Yeah, I really absolutely. appreciate it. I, I, I knew I wanted to do something while I was out there and I was short an episode on the <sighs> schedule anyway, so. Oh, I'm um, I can talk shit for hours. Oh, man. dude! I mean, we probably could have gone a lot longer. Oh, but, sure. But, but both of us have coronavirus right now. Yeah. Which maybe you're not supposed to joke about, but but we certainly feel like shit. Well, right someone now. told me apparently Lyme disease goes very well with it. Oh my god! <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, no, dude. Seriously, yeah, like, absolutely. You, you know, I love you like a brother, for sure. And I love man. being a part of this project, and and thank you for having me back, and. Um, and yeah, man, it's just, you know, it's, it's been a crazy, crazy year. Um, Already. and, and, uh, <clears throat> just being able to come out and play a show for a bunch of smiling, happy people shouting your lyrics back to you. Yeah, dude, it really, you know, it really, uh, it, it, it put a nice, it put a nice bookend on 2020 for me, man. I'm like, really good, man. I'm excited to see, uh, See how the rest of the year looks, and I'm excited to see what we do together, man. And let's do another record. Yeah, it, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for watching the stream. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you're near Pasadena again, uh, we're playing tonight at the Old Town Pub for the Metal Assault release party. Uh, get your advanced order of the T-shirt now uh, that you'll see up in the right hand side of the screen. 
um, because we're going to sell a shitload of them at the show tonight. If you yeah, they were, they were going pretty quick last night. Yeah, they too. were going pretty quick last night. So <clears throat> if you want to reserve one, um, make sure you go to mfruckus.bigcartel.com uh, and get yours while they last. Uh, also, uh, yeah, actually, that's it, man. That's it. That's all I've got to say. I've got to pee and my throat hurts. And uh, fuck it. Let's go. Uh, let's go smoke a little weed and then drive up to L.A., man. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, guys. We love you very much. Uh, we'll catch you next time on the motherfucking podcast. I'm Aaron and uh, Gordo and everybody else is not here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, shout out to my man, Doug Walker over here. From Monolith and Space Force and Call of the Wild. Fucking and every goddamn band. And every goddamn band. Hey, man. You, being a hired gun is pretty bitching. Yeah, man. It's, 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 I, I love it. I don't get the opportunity to do it much. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll catch you next time. Bye. You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 